Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Okay, let's get started. Let's go to work. Mark chapter 12. Verse 28 through 31, we're going to be reading the infamous passage of Scripture this morning that is titled, The Great Commandment. Are you guys ready for this? So turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 12. We're going to read verse 28 through 31. And you should see in your Bible, if you don't mind, at least open it on your app because I want you to recognize something along with me. There is usually a title over this passage of Scripture in any Bible And it says this, the great commandment. Can we say that together, please? The great commandment. That's important. All right. So let's read it together. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Keep going. Next slide. There it is. Jesus answered, the most important is here. Nope. Already read that. I'm going to go to mine. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We together? And... You shall love the Lord your God with all of your, what's your Bible say? With all of your, with all of your, and with all of your, yes. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, what I want to focus in on today is what Jesus says that you shall love the Lord your God with completely first which is your heart, okay? I'm gonna get to that kind of at the end, but that is where my title comes from today. The title of the sermon is Jump Start Your Heart. You like that? Jump Start Your Heart. All right, let's pray. Lord, we wanna say thanks for the word. Thanks for the eternal word. Thanks for the uh, word that never fades and never fails. Thanks for the word that's filled with promises and provision. Thank you for your word that causes us to overcome, that inspires us and testifies to us uh, where you're taking us to, Lord. So we just ask that you would bring transformation through your word today, that you would set us on fire through your word today, that you would ignite our spirits for a greater love for Jesus today, that you would stretch the capacity of our souls to be able to hold more of a desire for you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. amen, amen, and amen. So, um, as I mentioned, this passage of Scripture is entitled, The Great Commandment. And it's actually a response from Jesus as he's being questioned by a scribe. And a scribe is a religious teacher. Now, they questioned Jesus with some really bad motives. They were actually trying to catch him up and get him into some trouble. Uh, But... If you read throughout the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus was actually asked a lot of questions. Have you guys noticed how Jesus so rarely answers anybody's questions? 
Isn't that annoying? You're like, come on, God, just give us a plain and simple, direct answer. But instead of Jesus giving direct answers throughout the Gospels, a lot of times he'll just respond to a question with another question. And that's, that's really wise. Honestly, we could learn a lot from Jesus in that regard. Uh, but I believe the number, the total is 183 questions were asked to Jesus in the Bible. Guess how many questions Jesus actually answered? Three. Isn't that amazing? Jesus was asked 183 direct questions, and there was only three times that he responded directly. This is one of the three. So I think it's important for us to recognize that whenever Jesus responds directly to a question, particularly from that of a religious scribe that's trying to catch him up and and trap him, like he's saying, no, no, here is a direct response to your direct question. And he says, this is the great commandment. Uh, the translators entitled it, The Great Commandment. Everybody say commandment. commandment. Because that right there is just strange. To, to read about the fact that God actually commands us to love him. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but I'm like, hold on, wait. The Bible says commandment. Like, not suggestion. You notice that? Describes like, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus is like, the great commandment is this, commandment. What is a commandment? A a commandment is a divine rule, right? So anytime you read about a commandment in the Bible, uh, it is an order that is given by an authority. That's what a commandment is in the Bible. You'll see that, that, that when Jesus responds saying, this is the great commandment, he later gives us another great, which is called the Great Commission. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, it says this, teach these new disciples to obey what? All of the commands that I have given you. So Jesus is very clear with a few things that the Bible refers to as commandments. And this is one of those situations in which we're we're hearing Jesus command us uh, to love him. So I don't know about you guys, but anytime I read a commandment in the Bible, I'm like, yes, God, I want to be obedient. How about you? For me, um, I think that a lot of my life could be boiled down to one word. Like a lot of my life in God could be boiled down to one word. You know what it is? Yes. Like I have seriously considered just tattooing the word yes on my hand. You know, like just always yes. Just, just to remember, whatever God says, yes. Whatever God asks, yes. Whatever God tells me to do, whenever God tells me to do it, yes. Just yes, right? And so when I read this as a commandment, I'm like, Lord... I really, really want to say yes to you. I want to say yes to loving you with my whole heart. And I really believe, church, that God is willing to move through anybody who is obedient. You may not always feel prepared, but you can always be obedient. You may not always be qualified, but you can always be obedient. You may not always be educated, but you can always be obedient. You may not always be fully prepared, but you can always be obedient. 
Like, Jesus gives us some pretty clear commandments, and our responsibility in receiving them from him is simply to say, yes. And if you want to be greatly used by God, anybody in here that wants to be used greatly by God, here's what's required, your obedience. I've, I've learned that people tend to get used by God to the degree that they'll say yes to God. Because God is willing to move through anybody that'll say yes. I promise you, if you give God your yes, your life will get adventurous real quick. It's a guarantee. Because he will ask you to do stuff that he calls abundant life that for us will feel like a roller coaster momentarily. But I promise you, when you look back on it, you'll have the most fun you ever dreamed of. Simply by saying yes to God, I'll do it. But not only do I want God to move through me, I also want to love God well. How about you, presence people? Like, I want God to look down and say, you know what? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased who loves my heart tremendously well. This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased, and she, she adores me immensely. Um, this one here, they romance my heart. This gal here, she is an intimate of mine. Like, I want God to say that about me. How about you, presence people? Like, I want to be somebody that's so in love with him that whenever, you know, he looks at me, he's like, oh, you're, you're so in love with me. I love you so much. This is just the best. Does anybody else think about their relationship with Jesus like that? I know it might sound a little ridiculous coming from a dude, but I'm in love with another dude, and his name is Jesus. I'm just being honest with you right now. I love Jesus so much, and I want to romance his heart. I want to be intimate with him. It's like, you're, you're my bridegroom. I don't know how that makes sense, you know, in my mind, but I know it makes sense in the word, and I want to love you so well, God. Um, you know, and I, I remember one time I was on a retreat, and I was just, I was just in worship, and I was worshiping Jesus, and I, I said to the Lord, I said, God, I just want to lay my head on your shoulder and cry. <laughs> you ever been there before? And I remember Jesus responding to me and said, who will offer me their shoulder so that I can cry? You know, God's not there just to receive, uh, you know, our tears, but I think God's looking for people who are there to receive, you know, him and let him share his emotions and let him share his thoughts and his dreams and his desires and what breaks his heart like I think God's looking for a greater relationship, and I think that's what he's revealing to us here through the scripture. And I don't know about you, presence people, but I'm like, yes. I want to be an intimate with Jesus. I want to really love God with my whole life. I want to love God with my everything. Right? That's, that's what a presence person is. And loving God well looks like obeying God faithfully. Let me say it again because it's really important. Loving God well looks like obeying God consistently. If you want to love God well, just say yes to him all the time. He he loves that. (laughs) I can confidently say he loves that. So we seek to be obedient. We also seek to love God well. And this is what it means to be a presence person. Now, one of the things that I didn't realize about this scripture until I really started marinating on it And I want you guys to know, I have preached this scripture, I have thought about this scripture, I have dreamed about this scripture, I actually want to write a book about this scripture one day, because I'm obsessed with it. Let's be honest with you guys, I am obsessed with the great commandment, I'm obsessed with the great commission, and now I'm obsessed with the great invitation, which is Matthew chapter 4, the three greats, I'm just obsessed, all right? I'm serious, It's, it's a little ridiculous. 
So like this week, I could not stop studying this passage. Like yesterday, my wife was like, okay, the sermon is done. All right. Like you have, you've, you're like 25 hours deep at this point. I'm like, no, I love this passage of scripture. Like I love it. And, and one of the things very interesting to me is that God actually commands you to love him. And that's confusing to me. I don't know about you, but have you ever tried to command somebody else to love you? How'd that go? It's like kind of stalkerish, right? It's like, whoa. It's a little controlling. I command you to love me. <laughs> I'm good, bro. Actually, you know, I think I'm going to bow out of this relationship, right? Some of us have been there before where you really want to command somebody else to love you. And so I'm thinking about the fact that God says that he commands us to love him. How can we be commanded to love somebody else, even if that's God? It just feels impossible. So I, I just, I spent a week thinking about that. I'm like, Lord, can you really legislate love? Because we know God gives us free will, right? He, does, he doesn't force us to do anything. And yet here he is giving us this command saying, you shall love the Lord your God with your everything. Jesus commands us to love God with our whole beings. And this passage of scripture, not only has it, you know, fascinated me for a number of years, and I, not only am I obsessed with it, but one of the things I've learned through studying about it is that the Jewish people are actually obsessed with it. Obsessed with it. Um, they've, they've, they've turned it into a prayer, and they've also turned it into liturgy. All right? If you don't know what liturgy is, it, you know, it's just basically the... the I'm going to mess it up trying to give the definition because I, I didn't grow up liturgical at all. But like, it, it's, it's, to me, it's like the dance that God takes his people on. It's just something that's consistent. It's something that's repetitive. It's something that's transformational. It's something that's organized for the purpose of my transformation alongside the bride. And the Jews basically said, you know what? We're going to take the greatest command in all of the Bible. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. I don't actually think that the scribes were confused whenever Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6. If anything, I think the scribes were probably confused whenever he partnered Deuteronomy chapter 6 with Leviticus chapter 18 and said, not only shall you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, but also you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Which I think is super fascinating because Jesus shows us how love of God is proven. If you really love God... You'll love your neighbor. You want to know how to prove your great love for God? Your love for other people. Your great love for God will show up in your love for other people. You want to know how you can prove your love for other people? Your love for your enemies. Because how you love your enemies will prove how you love people. <laughs> So I'm sure the scribes are like, hold on, wait a second. Dude brought Leviticus chapter 18 into this. That's kind of weird. That's a little strange. But in um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, we see in the Old Testament that, that God gave his people uh, these commandments. Now, I want you to notice something real quick. Whenever the scribes came to tempt Jesus... And they said, what is the greatest commandment in the entire Bible? How did Jesus respond? By quoting scripture. One of the three times, at least one of the three times that Jesus responded to being asked a question was to quote scripture. Every single one of the three temptations 
uh, that Satan came against Jesus with, how did he respond? With Scripture. Now, I want to point that out uh, because in a world where everybody is arguing over the validity and the potency of the Bible, I would suggest that we elevate Scripture to the same standard that Jesus did. I know right now a lot of people is like fighting over the Bible. Like, oh, the Bible's it's, it's, it's more important than the Trinity. Oh, the Bible's not actually that important. How about we just carry the same value for the Bible that Jesus had? And if you look at how Jesus responded to being questioned every single time he quoted Scripture. So that would tell me that Jesus had a very high view of Scripture. Therefore, I need to have a very high view of Scripture. Jesus truly used Scripture as a sword when it was necessary. Uh, you know what's not a very good sword? Your opinion. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's not sharp. It cannot be... I mean, you can try to weaponize it, but it won't actually uh, work to your benefit. Instead of Jesus giving his opinion, he said, well, here's what God said. Here's what God's word says. Here's what the scripture says. And that's why he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'll read to you verse 4 through 9 for Deuteronomy 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today, really listen to this part. This is such a beautiful part. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise. I'm starting to get the picture that God, that God says this is quite important. And when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You ever see like the leather straps that the Jewish people wear on their hands? You ever see the, the frontlet? Right? You ever see the thing that's on the side of the door? I wish I knew more Jewish terms. But you know, what, you know what's in there rolled up? The Shema. That's what, that's what they call this, the Shema. It's really powerful. Uh, the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible says this, religious Jews re recite the Shema three times daily as part of their devotional life. And there is no Sabbath worship ever conducted in the synagogue without its proclamation. God's command became his people's prayer. So, so powerful. When God speaks something important to us, what we must do, church, present people, is we must take his words and turn them into our prayers. And he said, this is my greatest command in all of scripture. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so the Jewish people, they said, okay, if that is the greatest command, if that is what you want more than anything else, reading Deuteronomy 6, if this is what you want, God, more than anything else, you know what we're going to make this? We're going to say this three times a day no matter what. We're going to read this every day when we get up. We're going to read this every single night before we go to bed. We're going to read this out loud in church every single time. Every time we do devotional life, we're going to pray this prayer. We're going to read this out loud. This is so important to God. This is the greatest commandment that God has given us. So I'm going to consistently pray. We're going to turn this into liturgy. It's going to be in our service flow. It's going to be on our planning center. Every single time that we gather, this is what we are going to read as a proclamation of our formation. I am becoming the type of person that loves God with my whole life, starting with the heart. That's what they did. We must be, 
presence people. If we're to be presence people, we must be this devoted. This devoted. We must pray God's word back to him daily until our lifestyle becomes like our prayer life. I'm telling you the truth, guys. Your lifestyle will resemble your prayer life. If you want a greater lifestyle, get a greater prayer life. We are the byproduct of our prayers. Our lives are our prayer lives. And it's, it's so cool what Shema actually means. You know what Shema actually means? Hear. That's all it means, hear. Uh, but for Jews to say hear to someone was not an invitation to listen. It wasn't like, hear this, please listen up, you're invited to hear this. No. In Jewish culture, to say, hear, O Israel, it was a commandment to obey. It implied action, not an invitation to listen. It implied action. And this is the way that God spoke to them. And they turned it into this thing called the Shema. The Shema is not simply a polite religious prayer that we quote, uh, you know, with nostalgia. That's not what it is. The Shema is about wholehearted devotion that we become intimate and obedient God lovers that delight in his heart and give him glory in all things. That's a presence person. And that's the formation of the, uh, of the Shema. So to love God with your everything, this is where the title comes from. To love God with your everything, the Bible teaches us this, that we are to start with our heart. That's why I titled the message, Jumpstart Your Heart. So your life in loving God, your intimacy in your relationship with God, it starts in one place. Where does it start? Right here. It starts in the heart. It starts right here at the heart. And that's Mark 12, 30. Read it one more time. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Did you notice how many times the Bible says all? It wanted to make sure, like, with all of your heart, it's like, I want the whole totality, every single aspect of your heart to be in love with me, right? And then it goes over to the soul, and it's like, and with all of your soul. I don't want all of your heart and a fraction of your soul. I want all of your soul, too. And I don't just want a little bit of your heart and then a little bit of your soul, and then you can sprinkle in, like, just, like, a little bit of your mind. No, no. I want all, I want the fullness of your intellect. I want the fullness of your mind capacity. I want the whole thing, man. Like Jesus doesn't want just to get into like a corner of your life. Like he's going to come in. He's going to rearrange the furniture. He's going to set up shop there. It's going to become his house. He like wants the whole thing. And not only do I want all of your internal capacity, I want your external capacity too. I want your strength. I want your physical bodies. I want every single aspect that makes you a person. I want it all. Listen, that's why I love to say God is way more hungry for you than you are for him. I know sometimes we think we're hungry for God, but the reality is God is so hungry for us that we're just picking up on his nearness and his hunger and how badly he wants us. And that's why we're starting to feel it like, yes, God, I'm hungry for you. It's there because God's so close and he's so hungry for you. And he wants everything. Like he's not stopping with a little bit. A little bit is not enough for him. He is a jealous God, the Bible teaches us. He wants every single aspect of your life. It starts right there. He's like, hey, look, here's where I'm starting. I'm going to arrest your heart. I'm going to apprehend your heart. I'm going to possess your heart. I'm going to live in your heart. I'm going to go deep in your heart. I'm going to take the whole thing. That's... Now, you, are you getting the picture why I'm obsessed with this passage? I'm like, you could just, I could preach my whole life on this scripture. Legit. Love for God begins at the heart, and if we are to love God well, 
we must love him from our hearts supremely. Now, the word in the Bible that translates as heart is the Greek word cardia. You want to learn some Greek this morning? Everybody say cardia. What does that sound like? Cardiac, right? That's our word, you know, that's what, it's, that's what it sounds like. Um, that, well, that's where we get it from. This word cardia and its Hebrew equivalent is used, guess what, more than 800 times in the whole Bible. The word heart in Greek or Hebrew is used over 800 times in the Bible. Guess how many times it refers to the actual heart, the physical human heart? Zero. Never once. The Bible talks about the heart 800 times, and never once does it refer to the organ that is the heart or the muscle that is the heart or, you know, whatever scientists are saying these days. The engine that pumps the blood or I've, I've heard all these debating theories on this, but I listen to a science podcast while I run. Sorry, I'm a closet geek and it's just what I do. So anyways, never once, never once does it talk about the actual physical heart. So despite heart being used so often, it never talks about the physical heart, which is why heart doesn't that sound like ethereal or conceptual? It's like heart? Hold on, what, what, is it, what, do you, what is my heart then? And when you look at all the different definitions that different scholars provide and uh, Greek and Hebrew provides, it's actually translated so many different ways throughout the Bible, it's kind of hard to nail down what exactly the heart is. But if you look in the Strong's, uh, the Strong's will tell you that the heart is the inner life or it is your intentions. Everybody say Intentions. That's an important word to remember. When God says, I want you to love me with all of your heart, he's saying, I want you to love me with all of your intentions. So you can set your intent upon loving God well today and every day, right? So that's what Strong says. Uh, when you go a little bit deeper, deeper into the literal definitions from Strong's, it says this, that your heart is also your mind. It is also your character. So God says, I'm commanding you to love me with all of your character, that's powerful. And center, the center of your being. Now, here is the coolest definition of heart I've ever been able to find. It comes from the Helps Bible. And the Helps Bible defines the heart as this, the desire producer that makes us tick. Everybody say desire. desire. And if you want a little tip here, I've been using this for, for a little while. Anytime you read heart in the Bible, because it's in there 800 times, Anytime you read heart in the Bible, exchange it for the word desire, and you'll probably find that the scripture is a little easier for you to understand. Just exchange it. So whenever God says, I'm commanding you to love me with all of your heart, here's what God is simply saying. I command you to love me with all of your desire. Man, when's the last time we took inventory of the desires of our heart? When's the last time we consulted our heart and we said to our heart, who have I given permission to shape you? Who have I given permission to give me my desires? How do you get your desires? How about, that's a question. Where do they come from? Who puts them in you? How does society, culture, social media shape the number one desire in your life right now? Because here's what God is so jealous of. He said, I want your whole desire. So the heart is called the, the desire producer. And what you desire is what you think about most often. And what we think about most often actually shapes our personality. It shapes our character. Whatever you think about the most often. 
uh, it may be said that you are the result of your greatest desires. Think about that. You are the result of your greatest desires. We are our desires made flesh. So what do you want the most? It's a great question. Could I say it like this? You worship what you want the most? Whatever the supreme desire of your life is right now is what you're currently worshiping. So what has that top spot? When all of your desires have to get in a line, what has the top spot? Because when God commands us to love him with all of our heart, he's saying, I want the premier, supreme position of your desires. When all of your desires have to file in line, I want Jesus right there at the front. I don't know why. This is just so powerful to me. I, I don't know. You might be like kind of bored with this teaching. I know it's a little quiet, but like, you know, I'm getting used to the Brittany mic and all, but I, this, there's something about this passage. It just wrecks me. I read through it. I'm like, yes, God. I want all of my desires to get in a line and I want Jesus at the top. Like I want to want God more than I want anything else. Like I want to be that hungry for you. I want people to be shook by how hungry I am for Jesus. I want people to be confused when they're like, dude, like you want God more than anything else. Is, it, is anything else important? Not before Jesus, because God has commanded me to love him with all of my desires. And I just got to be honest, I'm sorry if I'm offending you. The thing that I want more than anything else is him. That's, that's, that's the great commandment. That's the Shema prayer. That's what, that's what, you know, our Jewish friends have been praying for thousands of years. Every time they gather, just, you know, you, you see them at the wall. Doing, you know, the Lou Engle thing, right? It's like, they're praying that. God, make, I want you to be my greatest desire. I want us to pray. I think that right there, that's the prayers of presence people right there. Oh, more than anything else, Lord, we just want you to be our greatest desire. We want to want you more than we want anything else. We want to want you more than we want opportunities or positions or money or breakthrough or I want to want you more than I want healing I want to want you more than I want a spouse I want to want you you know what I'm saying like what is it that you need more than anything else I know what you need more than anything else Jesus but what are you telling yourself that you need more than anything else if it's anything other than Jesus God has a word for you today Like this word, I'm like getting so sauced off of it like the whole week. I'm like, oh, Jesus. It's been taking me forever to get through the sermon. I just been stopping. I'm like, ah, yes. I'm ridiculous. I know it. I'm sorry, guys, but that's just me. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy when I'm with the Lord. Hey, you want to you know what God's greatest desire is? God's greatest desire is that he become your greatest desire. You want to know what God wants more than anything else? He wants you to want him more than anything else. Like, they, like legit, just read through Genesis. Sorry, I'm going off script, but like, just read through Genesis and you're like, dude, 
he creates the universe. He creates heaven where we all want to go, right? He creates the earth. He creates the animals, the seas, the, the stars, the sky, the moon. He, like, he creates the planets. Like, he creates all this stuff, and he's like, none of this is enough. I want to create something else. This is going to be my best thing. This is going to be my best idea yet. You're like, wait, hold on. Wait just a second. Like, the planets? That's pretty cool, God. And he's like, you know, no, I am going to create a person. Because what I want more than anything else is I want this person. And you know what I want even more than anything else? I want this person to want me more than anything else. Wow, what a romantic God is, right? You get caught up in this, it'll just change your whole life, guaranteed. Okay, let me give you some points real quick. Uh, how to jumpstart your heart, all right? How to, how to get moving in the direction of God becoming your greatest desire. Number one is this, submit yourself to God's word. If you want to want God more than anything else, here's how you start. Submit yourself to God's word. In Mark chapter 12, Verse 29 through 30, I'm reading the same passage of Scripture. Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord. Everybody say Lord. Lord. Our God is the Lord. Everybody say Lord. Lord. Is one. And you shall love the Lord. your God with all of your heart. Jesus and Scripture literally use the term for God, Lord, three times in the great commandment. He says the Lord is our God. He said the Lord is one. He said the Lord is your God. And this is such a wonderful reminder. There's only one Lord, guys. I'm not the Lord. You're not the Lord. We're not the Lord. Nobody's the Lord. It's just Jesus, right? There's only one Lord. You know what that tells me? There's only one worthy of wholehearted love and desire. There's only one worthy of our worship. There's only one worthy of our uh, complete surrender. There's only one person worthy of us, you know, bowing our knee and say, I'm completely submitted. There's only one Lord. That's it. And so if you want that desire to be generated in your heart for God, here's how it starts. You submit yourself to the word of the Lord. Amen. He said, listen, I give my life. There's only one Lord. I want to do exactly what you command. You are the Lord, and I want to love you. Despite how this may make us feel at first, like hearing a command from God saying, you shall love me, God gives us this command, church, because he knows what's best for us. And this is where we just have to trust him. First uh, John 5 and 3 says, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And get this, and his commands are not burdensome. We cannot look at the great commandment and say, oh, what a burden. God commands me to love him. What a burden. No, it's not a burden at all. It's actually your greatest blessing. God commands you to love him because he knows what is best for you. And that's why he says, listen, submit yourself to my word. I am the Lord. Do everything in your power to love me well, and you will receive the abundant life that follows as a result of making me the center of your world. There's no quicker way to a life of abundance than to start at the heart and make Jesus the number one desire of your life. There's no quicker way. God's greatest commandment, it's not a burden, it's a blessing. If we'll choose to receive it and obey him, it'll set us up for the most abundant life possible. Um, so we have to submit ourselves to God word, uh, God's word. Proverbs 30 and 5 says, every word of God is flawless. Now you see why I was just drunk in this sermon prep. I was like, this is so good, God. 
Every word that God gives me is flawless. And every commandment that God gives me, it's not a burden, it's a blessing. So good, right? Okay, number two, I got four points. I'm gonna move them quick. Uh, number two is this. Go, turn God's command into your prayer. Pray the Shema. I know I've already mentioned this, but I'm, I'm just going to reiterate it real quick. Make the great commandment, presence people, your premier prayer request. Every day, just, I shall love the Lord my God with all of my heart. I mean, just, if you just stop there, that's enough for your entire commute. Lord, I want to love you with the fullness of my desire, God. I inspect my desires. What do I want right now? God, repent for wanting that thing more than I want you. I want you most, God. That's a presence person. That's presence people. Ask God to help you love him with all of your heart as he has commanded. Number three, ask God to increase your desire for him. Very simply, ask him, say, God, I, I want to want you more. And I'm asking you in Jesus' name to increase my desire for you. That's what I want. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How many of us could look back retroactively on our calendar? Have you been delighting yourself in the Lord? Have you sat with God and you just delighted yourself in his presence? And said, oh, I'm delighting myself in you. You are my number one desire. We know that it's important to God that we delight ourselves in the Lord. But how about when you don't want to? What about when you don't feel like it? How do you, how do you wrestle um, whenever you're like, I don't have any desire for God. I know I'm supposed to, but I don't feel any desire for God. You know, I think that the enemy works very hard to try to convince you that weak love is no love, and that's just not true. Don't listen to the enemy when he says, oh, your love for God is weak. You don't have any love for God. No, no. I have what I have, and what I have is a beautiful offering to him. It may not seem like much, but neither was the loaves and the few fish that fed 5,000 people. Listen, God is still in the business of blessing broken things. And even if all you have is the size of a mustard seed, God said that it is enough. He said it's enough. Even when you don't feel like you have any desire... When we find ourselves without a desire to love God, we must ask him for grace. We ask him for his desires. We ask him, enlarge my desire for you. Look at Psalm 119.32. I found this this week. It's so wonderful. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. So you just ask the Lord, God, do a work in my heart. Enlarge my heart. Stretch the tent pegs of my heart, Lord. And, and whenever he does it, it's his work. You'll run in the direction of his commandments. It's all grace. The only way we can even have a desire for God is if he first gives us the desire. Look at 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. We have no capacity to generate love for God in our own hearts. It has to come from him first. And so if you don't feel any desire, just ask him for desire. God, I ask for greater desire. I want to love you more. I want to love you better. Can you know... I, I just cannot imagine my wife being put off by me taking her to dinner and looking at her in the face saying, listen, I want to love you better. I would imagine my wife knowing her, she would just melt. Like, what? That's so sweet. <laughs> Tell me how I can love you better. Put love in me, God. 
so that I can love you better. You know, God never asks for anything that he has not first given to you. I want you to remember this. God never asks for anything that he has not first given you, including your love for him. Anything we give to God, including love, is more about returning than it is given, giving because God has already given you plenty of love to love him back with. God knows what you have. He's not offended when you say, God, here's the fullness of the love that I have for you today. You know why he knows? Because he put it in you. And poured out for you at the cross. And that's the love you have. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to whose riches? His. In glory. By who? The Lord Christ Jesus. If you need more love, you know where you get it from? The Lord Christ Jesus. Because he promises he will supply all of your need, including your need to love God well. Church, Christianity is not a half-hearted commitment to becoming a better person. It is a whole-hearted commitment to live in love with God. That's what Christianity is. That is all it is. Here's the last one, number four. We must deal with divided love and we must reorder our affections. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says this, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. What the Bible's referring to here is part-time love. It's amazing to me how many Christians will offer God part-time love but expect full-time blessing. Serving two masters. No, no. God says one. What what does the first commandment say? The Ten Commandments, right? Shall have no other gods before me. I'm a jealous God. I'm not going to have any other gods before me. There's nothing more important. There's no one else you serve first. We have to deal with our divided love and reorder our affections. The abundant life that Jesus promised us is the result of having Jesus at the top of your list of affections. I want to say it again because you got to get it. The abundant life that Jesus promised you is the result of having Jesus at the top of your list of affections. That's what abundant life is this. When all of your affections get in line, Jesus is first place. That's abundant life. That's a glorious life. That's a rich life. There's no abundant life where there's no abundant love. There's no abundant life where there's no abundant love for Jesus. And if you let anybody cultivate your desires aside from Jesus you'll end up divided you'll end up divided you'll end up distracted James chapter 1 verse 8 says their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything that they do that is the result of having your priorities scattered that is the result of having your list of affections you know changing places Uh, every day depending on the situation like it just becomes a life of confusion it becomes a life of division it becomes a life where you're scatterbrained unless Jesus is at the top of the list of all of your affections and you're saying Jesus you are sitting on the throne of my desire the byproduct will be confusion and division that's what James 1 says and really at the root of confusion church is just love divided you need clarity in your life? Make Jesus your, your focus. By looking through Jesus, everything else in your life will become clear. 
Loving God with our whole heart is this. It's just continuing to keep Jesus at the forefront of our list of desires. I want you to notice something. He didn't say that you can't have any other desires. He just said that the first one has to be him. That's it. So this is a matter of priority. And that's what I want to pray into today. Until he is what we want most, we have to cut away all the things that interrupt that pursuit. No matter how important anyone else may deem them. And just make Jesus our greatest desire. That's it. So, can we just pray into that as we're closing? Um, Maybe a good place to start is just examining our hearts. If you don't mind where you're seated, just close your eyes for a moment. And let me just ask you a simple question. What do you want the most? Ask your heart that question. What do I want the most? What do I want more than anything else? And no matter what it is, if it's anything but him, just kick it off the throne of your heart right now. And just, and just make a decision right now. Make a decision right now in the spirit to say, no, you can't sit there. That is the place that I have reserved for Jesus. This, this is the person that Jesus had, has made me to be. Somebody who enthrones you enthrones God on the on the throne of my heart and Jesus will be my supreme desire I'm going to make a commitment today to becoming a presence person and that means that what I want more than anything else is Jesus what I want more than anything else is Jesus now that you've done that work in the spirit if you don't mind let's just stand up and we're going to finish just with a, a corporate prayer of victory and declaration that we belong to the Lord. Could you just speak over your heart and say, I belong to Jesus. I am a presence person. When all of my desires get in a line, Jesus is first place. I declare that today, what I want most is Jesus. I speak to my heart. I want Jesus. Speak to my life. I want Jesus. I speak to my soul. I want Jesus. I speak to my mind. I want Jesus. I speak to my strength. I want Jesus. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme in my life. More than anything else. I want Jesus. Amen. Amen and amen and amen. And if you receive that today, can we just lift up a big round of applause to Jesus? We just say yes and amen. We say yes and amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.